charming plunge into the movie career of Charlie's Theron. With me, as always, are Regina Connolly. Hello. Robin Hitchcock. Hi. And my name is Bob Shields, and we have a special guest today. Her name is Abby Feuder. Hi. And she's a dear friend of ours, and we are here to record about Monster from 2003, the career make or break move that made Charlize Theron the respected actress that she is today. So, with all those elements successfully gotten out of my mouth, uh, <laughs> do we have one sound reviews for this movie? So, I could one sound <laughs> my feelings while watching the movie or my feelings about the movie? Do both. Uh, yeah. Okay. And my- don't say which is which. Right. <laughs> all right. Oh, oh, that's while watching. Yes, gotta yes. be while watching. <laughs> yeah. And oh, that's yeah, okay. yeah. That's the other one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, mine is oh. Is that while watching? And that's uh, all of it. Oh, the two for one. <laughs> yeah. Mine is <gasps> what? <sighs> <laughs> that was mine. I'm sure it was picked up. Abby Feuder. <laughs> that one just had some extra on the end I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it was a journey. Um, mine would be... <laughs> yep, that's yeah. about, that about sums it up. This is a sad story. <laughs> sad story. A quick plot summary is that this is the story of Eileen Wernerros. I believe I'm saying that correctly. I Warnos? think it's just two syllables. I think it's Wernos. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Eileen Wernos tells her story. It picks up when she meets a, a character named Selby and unexpectedly to her, like, falls in love with her. She has been a prostitute basically since 13 and suffered severe abuse as a child. And you see her relationship with Selby progress, but also, like, during this time, she's brutally attacked by a John, and she ends up murdering him, and this leads to a sequence of murders, and ultimately her being caught. It's based on a true story of Eileen Wernos, who's mm-hmm. deemed the first female serial killer in the United States. And this is the role that won Charlie's her first and only Academy Award. Yep. Only Oscar, she was nominated again in the future, but this is her first nomination and only win. And so far. So far. <laughs> and so so you see the, like, the story of their relationship and these murders. It goes ultimately through a, a brief recap of the court and how it ends. And I don't think it says it in the title cards, but in real life she was executed. And you see her convicted and get a life sentence. I think they allude to her receiving... Or the, she says something about getting the death penalty. Yeah. Uh, and the film actually came out, like, the year after the actual Eileen Warnos was executed in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yep. Real grim. And I will say... That was I, a great summary. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You have win the summary game. <laughs> I, don't know. 
as you did. This was the movie that I was the most dreading doing Mm. of all of Charlize's canon because I have a real problem watching things about serial killers because I have what I like to call an irrational fear of serial killers. (laughs) Did you say rational fear? Irrational. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Because the degree to which I'm afraid of it is irrational. Oh, that's true. I understand that it is fair to be afraid of them. It's a terrible thing. So So it's kind of like, I'm really afraid of tigers. Like, tigers are really, really scary. (laughs) Yeah. I probably will never encounter one. It's statistically irrational. (laughs) Yes, sure. (laughs) Not, Uh, not the, if it were to happen to you, that's a very good fodder to be afraid of. Yeah, like it's a reasonable fear to an irrational degree. There you go. And so I was really not looking forward to doing this. I've been dragging my heels about it. And this is coming out on my birthday. (laughs) So, (laughs) yay! Hope you like your turntable and the serial killer review. How did you, how did you pick that? Well, we've been away for a while and I wanted to come back with a bang. No pun intended. Oh. <laughs> um, but we figured that most pe- this is a movie that is like a high point of her career, and also a lot of people have seen it. A lot of people have seen it. Yeah. So we're just uh, just doing it for ratings, guys. My personal feelings, whatever. Um, you suggested it. No, you did. Did I? I think yeah. it was me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's what I was wondering if you guys keep careful record of all this, and clearly no. you do. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to the Slack feed. No, no, no. This is fine. So I was very hesitant to watch this, but I had just finished watching Mindhunter, so I was like, well, this will fit oh. in. Wait, you watched Mindhunter? I watched Mindhunter because Ritter's Diner is in it as a location. So I was like, I'm committed to you'll, seeing You'll this. fight your fear. I will fight my fear for my love of Ritter's Diner. Okay. That really surprised me about this movie is that I think there's way less time on the murders or on her abuse than like on her love story. Right? Yeah. So it's a, I found it to be an incredibly surprising serial killer movie and not at all what I expected. I agree. I had never seen this movie, which I think is probably kind of surprising because... Am I the only one that had seen it before? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's so surprising I mean, to me. Her jaw literally dropped for those who can't see her, yeah. which well, is everyone. <laughs> I Because I normally watch awardsy movies, and also I love Charlize Theron. You have a podcast <laughs> on Charlize Theron, and none of you had seen the one movie she won an Oscar for. Right. I find that... Yep. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. We loved her before we knew her greatness. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure no, I mean, like, I love that you guys keep your listeners guessing. <laughs> <laughs> what you were saying about the love story thing. So the thing that got me about this movie is that I also think it is, and, and Patty Jenkins has said, it is, she made a love story. Yeah. Is really yeah. what she was making. I saw an interview with her that said that what inspired her to to write this movie was when she was watching footage of the trial mm-hmm. and when they were playing the tape of Selby, I guess. Spoilers. Or the woman who inspired Selby. Yeah, yeah. Of, of her giving her up. Giving her up. Yeah. And turning her in. And she saw Eileen just like sobbing and she was like I was I was looking at someone that wasn't necessarily crying because oh my god I'm gonna go to jail or I you know it was like she was she she was betrayed and heartbroken and you just don't see that a lot in capital cases something like that and so that really I am a huge fan of love stories and 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 certainly like unique ones and so this movie is very interesting in, in that way in the real world so what happened was she basically her girlfriend got immunity to get an order like basically to trick her into confessing yeah. and for doing that she got immunity from any prosecution right so i don't know much about the real story there are several documentaries and i immediately after we finished watching the movie i put on one of the documentaries right. and then i was like wait I can't do this to myself. I need to get back to the real world. And then I had a busy week and didn't go back to them. In the film, it is 
really set up like Eileen hasn't been with women before, doesn't identify as a lesbian at all, right. mm-hmm. and just sort of becomes taken with this woman. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it is the first time maybe in her life yes. that she has loved and trusted someone. Yes. Agreed. And that is so palpable. And she had had such abusive experience with men yes. that I think that it's almost as if lesbianism never occurred to her. Right. right. And and she's certainly from a socioeconomic, you know, cultural place yes. where like that just doesn't exist. And time. And time. So I think that it didn't even occur to her. And so having this relationship that also re- uh, removed the fear and distrust and hatred she probably has for yeah. men that have abused her her whole life and then felt this other thing was probably very moving to her. I also think there's a big element in the movie about it's not just that she feels love and trust, but this is the first time that she's in a position to really take care of someone mm-hmm. because Selby is, prevent- is presented as very helpless. Like yeah. she had a broken arm to start. Mm-hmm. She's been kicked out of her parents' house and is staying with like a family friend. Like she ran away from home essentially because her religious parents didn't like that she was gay. And so she's supposed to go back home and, you know, live a straight life essentially and go back into the closet. And so for both of them, like there's this opportunity in them meeting that opens the this door to be free in a way that they hadn't before and that Selby can't work because of her broken arm like seems very ill-equipped for what the world is actually and very naive. like very naive and, and he like literally like gives her money gives her a place to stay and that like she's right. doing these things for someone else I think is a big element like she yeah. wouldn't have done those things in some ways for herself right and also like they definitely paint it as even though you know the thing that probably anybody on the street knows about this movie if they haven't seen it is like, oh, that's the one where uh, Charlize is real ugly. Yes. But what's interesting is Selby is supposed to be this like super ugly troll-like looking person because they they paint it as like, you're this tall, blonde, I've never met anyone as gorgeous as you. Yeah. So that must have also been Selby does have... The worst haircut. Yeah, she has a, a real mullet of film. Yeah, going Selby on. Selby played by Christina Ricci, sounding exactly like Edward Furlong in Terminator Two. Day. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just go around killing people. You can, okay? <laughs> Actual dialogue from Monster. <laughs> I, yeah, that's I, right. I really the whole movie, to... she's like, no. <laughs> Although, wait, Selby gives her money, doesn't she? I thought the money exchange was. The, I thought the financial because. So at the start, Selby, like, buys all these drinks. So basically, the way that they meet is that Lee has essentially considered, was spent the whole day wanting to kill herself. But she had $5 in her pocket that she got for giving a guy a blowjob. And she thought to herself... If I kill myself without spending this $5, he'll have gotten that blowjob for free. Right. So until I spend it, I have to be alive. Yeah. Which I think is just beautiful writing on Patty Jenkins' yeah. part. Yeah. So she goes into this bar to basically spend her last $5 on a couple of beers and then kill herself. And Selby is there and shown to be, like, very awkward, not interacting with anybody. And she comes, she sees, you know, mm-hmm. Lee alone and wants to, like, buy her a drink or talk to her. And Lee initially reacts, like, like I'm not a dyke. Like, right. get, like get out of here. Right. And then Selby, like, opens up and is like, I just wanted to have one nice night where I, like, like, talk to somebody before I have to go back to my shitty parents' house. And so then they get wasted together. They, they, they end up staying and drinking a lot together. And Selby buys all of those drinks. But I think later, like, when they're together and she's in the motel, like, Selby's not working or bringing in anyone. Well, Selby leaves everything behind also. Yeah, I, I feel like she was maybe giving her some money at first, too. Yeah. Because that was, remember, yeah. the aunt is like, are you giving this woman money? Well, she paid she for it again. Like, she's a drinker. She puts a roof over her head a couple times. Right, yeah. 
But then, but then, but when then, they're on the road together, so because that's after Lee is like killing and robbing people, right? right? Okay, we've got their finances clear. Okay, thank <laughs> goodness. It's, it's a really, big part of the movie, actually. It is like, actually it's, it's very realistically then, portrayed. So, yeah. like going forward to the point where basically it starts with very upsetting assault on Lee is that she kills someone in self-defense. Right. Yeah. So and it's genuinely horrific. Like yeah. it's not like uh, and it's not really nothing is really shown but it's convincingly very convincingly portrayed by the right. performances. Uh, and that is just to be clear or to be fair, like that is something that is highly debated. Yeah. Meaning like yes. the prosecution sure. would have you believe yeah. that that is not at all how that went down. Right. I right. think it I think it is helpful cuz like just because we don't know a ton about, or you, I think, know more about the the real case than the rest of us. Like in the movie context, we'll take it as as right. what really happens sure. to the character. But I think it's also worth noting that, like, the first, I would say, like half hour of the film, none of that, ha- like this, the the first murder yeah. hasn't taken place, mm-hmm. and Lee and her have like basically like set a time and place to like meet for like the first time having sex. Lee is trying to get enough money to get a motel room for them to have a place to have sex. And she gets in the car with this particular John. Mm -hmm. She's, like, trying to do it quickly so that she can go meet Selby early enough in the day. And he drives her to, like, this remote location. And she's like, why are we coming here? And he's like, I don't want anyone to see us. I don't want to be interrupted. And then when she starts to be hesitant with him, he knocks her out. The movie cuts to her, like, hands are tied. Her face is very bloody. She's got a big swollen eye. And there's plastic wrap under her body. And the guy is behind her. And... You don't really see exactly what he's doing. And I think it's heavily implied that he, like, uses, like, a tire iron. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to assault her. And that uh, he was maybe, he was going to kill her. Oh, yeah. And he says, yeah. I want yeah. to, like, you the should be aware. The plastic wrap to me is like, yeah. oh, this is a murder. Absolutely. Right. And then she manages to, like, while he's in the back, like, getting ready to do things to her until he kills her. Because he's like, you want to be alive as long as you can until you die. I think is, like, his line or something along those lines. Then she breaks free mm. and she turns around and kills him in a, you know, a defensive rage. So yeah. I want to, I wanted to talk about that scene because I feel like it really makes a difference that Patty Jenkins was involved. And this is what made me feel like this was different than many other serial killer movies or TV shows, because that is the scene I feel like where they would spend a lot of time from the killer's perspective. I feel like the way that this was shot was all on like what she would be seeing. Like you see a lot of shots of her hands in Mm -hmm. front of her rather than close-ups on her face of how much she's suffering, which I feel like is like what the perspective of the person perpetrating it would have been. So that's a really interesting point. I feel like that makes such a difference and that you don't know, you don't need to know exactly what he's done to her. And the movie does not really go into, to a lot of the brutality of things it's sort of just like it's enough to know that it happened right without like lovingly showing it to you right we don't work. need to know the specifics of how he violated her with a tire iron to yeah. know right. that what is happening is yeah. horrific exactly and then i would say one of the most lovely shots in the whole movie which is a weird adjective to use but after she's killed him you see her standing in the field and she's smoking and it's like she's just sort of like half lit and you just see like the smoke sort of like blow away from her because like this is the moment that changes like everything in her life and also like before that like in terms of like not seeing her get violated when she like stumbles out uh, of the car after she's killed him and like her pants are around her ankle like just the way that everything is like disheveled and upsetting like I feel like it was very much about what's happening to her and not about like what it's like for the killer to be right. doing that and for also her. she escapes via her own struggle as well like she just struggles and struggles and struggles until the, she gets free right. right like he doesn't have to make a mistake or like mm. do anything doesn't, she doesn't take advantage of anything she just 
forcefully fought her way out. Yeah. Yeah. And we also see, like, intercut with this, Selby waiting for her at the rink. And since there are no cell phones, and also since she's tied up, like, there's no way for her to know it. She feels like she's been stood Stood up up. by this first person that she cared about, and she's supposed to leave, like, the next day to go home. Mm. And then Charlize comes to the, like, the back garage apartment where she's staying. And I thought her speech, she's like, I had to break free from that man because if I died there, you would never know that like I wasn't standing you up. Yeah. And right. that like you'd That's her what whole she life. was that's what made her want to live. Right. Love story. Correct. Yes. In that scene, you know, after she kills him, there's, you know, just a minute of her screaming. And right. yes. I I think that that was the moment when I just was like, this performance from Charlie Theron is like legendary. Mm-hmm. Right. And Obviously, I have a podcast about Charlize Theron. Like, I feel like I was, like, destined to be in some ways disappointed. And in that scene, I was like, this is even better than I thought it would be. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. it's just, I've never seen, I'm like, there's no way to talk about it and not be hyperbolic. Mm-hmm. Like, I've just never seen yeah. anything like it. Yeah. The whole the whole scene from beginning to end. The whole, the, the whole like, movie. Her, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, throughout. Yeah. Well, what would you say is your Charlize Zenith, since we're oh, talking about Oh, jeez, Louise. Or anyone. Bob Shields, do you have a Zenith? So I mean, um, I I also appreciate the the, the her freaking out uh, and that. Um, not that it's in any way comparable, but I have been in. I used to hitchhike a lot, and I have been in a situation where I thought was very dangerous, mm. uh, and I was very very distressed by it. And then when I got out of that situation, that's what I did. Yeah, uh, I wasn't. I didn't like collapse or anything like that because it wasn't that as bad. But I definitely, like, just had to, like, shout on the side of the road. Yeah. Um, so I sympathized with that. And I also really loved her final breaking down at the end at the bus stop. Oh. Was unbelievably good and convincing. Like, and, and, like so, like, rawly emotional. I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's hard to describe. And, like, it has to be experienced. I, I think, actually, my Charlie... Like, those are, like, very obvious. I think my Charlie Zenith is actually... The, the moments of this movie that stick with me the most are the parts where they think they're on top of the world. Mm-hmm. So, like, the parts where they're having a good time with each other. And, like, Charlie's has, like, perfected this, like, smug... Like Queen of the Sordid Bar look on her face, yeah. like, just so pleased that she's able to buy her girlfriend a, a round of drinks or whatever. I think every time she has that face, that's my Charlie Zenith. Yeah, I have to, I have to agree almost with like or with everything you said. Like the the scene at the bus stop, I thought was even more devastating than her big speech at the end, where she's trying to defend when basically mm-hmm. when Selby finally figures out that the way that they've been able to do this is multiple murders and robbery. That speech, I think, is when she's the most recognizably like Charlize. Mm. Uh, like that speech sound like she sounds more like herself and le- like slightly more like herself and less like the lead character and not as a I, I love that scene though. oh yeah not that a scene is excellently written no yes. and, I, and I think yeah. she I, I'm not saying that like she doesn't stay in character to perform it it's just that's that has elements of things that I've seen Charlize do mm-hmm. other times and so I think like the bus stop scene is the most like emotionally devastating but I my favorite thing that she does in the whole movie is when she after she spent the night chastely with Selby and is leaving and Selby's kind of like I want to see you again like let's do something and Charlize is sort of awkwardly like yeah maybe this is a thing that I want and she like opens the the mailbox (laughs) yes she's like you can see that she's uncomfortable like she doesn't know what to do it's uncharted territory and just like as a sort of like I can't make eye contact with you fiddling she just sort of was like mailbox it's open I can close it and it's so it's so disarming and like I went into this movie very defensively being like I don't want to you know like I don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about 
like a serial killer. Yeah. And like just the, they really set you up to care about her so much before they go into what happens. Mm-hmm. I just thought that moment, the fact that as one performer, she can both awkwardly be like, mm, mailbox, but also later like scream in the woods and weep at the bus station. Like there's just such a range of defensiveness yeah. and vulnerability. And like what Bob said, like she has these like weird teeth and like weird face stuff going on. Like the way that she has this like strut throughout like like just the way she carries herself is very different in this than in other things like when she's going with the job interviews and like just the way she talks around those fake teeth is very i don't know all right i think it's time for ebert or mebert all right <clears throat> ebert or mebert the attention to the makeup work on theron might reduce her performance to that of a puppeteer for a stringy wig and a set of false teeth know that she does more for the prosthetics than they do for her oh uh ebert ebert I see Ebert. That's a Mebert. Oh, shit. Thank you. Please read his review, though. He, oh, I will. he picked this as his number one movie of the year in 2003. Oh. And the most interesting thing about his review is that he did not recognize Charlize Theron. And, oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. The whole time. He did not know it was her. It's not just the prosthetics, it's also like the freckle work on her. The makeup. Yeah. I mean, the, it's, it's incredible work. Her, her eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. The lack thereof. The brown contacts. Yeah, I found that very because I at this point having seen the Charlize movie every week for a long time, <laughs> I know I was like the we brown are so familiar really... with her face. Yeah, that... I think it's the freckles and the um the eyebrows are yeah. are just truly makes her look different. And I remember That's... thinking that with the uh, Itania that like yeah they're like freckle work or like yeah. pock mark. I don't uh, like da- more damaged skin. Yeah, is yes. very key in making someone look mm-hmm. like less of a movie star. Less of a movie yeah. star and more like I, I want to say trailer trash, yeah. but, but that is Saoirse Ronan's real face in Lady Bird, by the way. She oh. just has acting. So good job for her regular makeup artist, right? Yeah. Okay, this is a, an actual quote from Ebert, which I really do love. There's a certain tone in the voices of some critics that I detest. That superior way of explaining technique in order to destroy it. They imply that because they know how Theron did it, she didn't do it, but she does it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, she really, she destroys in this role. It's yeah. so, it's yeah. so, I mean, it is, it's devastating, the whole, yeah. the whole thing. And, like, the the thing I was saying, like, with her, like, prosthetic, like, it's not just the makeup that they put on her face, like, her whole body is different it's, in terms of, like, how she moves. Like, when you watch her walk into the skating rink, like, just look at that scene. Like, maybe we can make a gif of it. But the way that she, like, carries herself and has this awkward strut. The clothing? That helps a lot, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she also gained, like, 30 pounds. She did, yeah. Yeah. The... Scene in the skating rink when they are couple skating to Don't Stop Believing. I Perfect think song choice. What would film be without that song? So that's so interesting because <laughs> I think that this was before that song had its mid-aughts moment. Oh, yeah. really? I, I think so. Okay. But it really works. Oh, it's so perfect. It really does. That scene, the moment when Charlize is like, I'm attracted to this person. Mm-hmm. And like, you see her be like, wait. Wait a second! Like yeah. I want to kiss her. It just is so powerful and so real. And then I love them making out in the next scene. Oh, like yeah. it's just yeah. Yeah. like it's Very. so passionate and, yeah. but at the same time, still awkward. It just ah, oh, God, it feels so real. And the the dialogue that happens. So they were making out passionately, like against a wall, and like all the other kids from the skating rink leave and see them. So I was like, oh, like we need a place to have sex, essentially. And Charlize is like, why aren't we just having and sex right here? Yeah, well, she's like, she's like, how about that lot over there? Right. You know, and like, and you see, I think in that moment, like the difference in their world. And I yeah. think the movie spends a lot of time trying to 
capture like essentially like what it is like for Lee to be a drifter and to be homeless. Like yeah. she, you see, there's a lot of time of her just standing on a street or like she's outside of her like storage unit or like taking a, a shower in a public bathroom. Right. Like, all of the indignities and difficulties that she has to like just do for her daily life. I feel like I spent a lot of time on that. My, the, the moment that sticks with me and that stuck with me for a long time after I saw this movie and kind of what I weirdly look forward to when I watch it again is in the very end in the courtroom when Charlize is doing the aforementioned moment where that Patty, you know, said was a big inspiration for the movie is Lee having to listen to the only love she's ever had in her whole life be ultimately the reason she's going to die. Yeah. Which is powerful, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that horrible man could have been the reason why she died, but he wasn't. It's ultimately going to be Selby's betraying her. But anyway, she's listening to it, and she's crying, but then there's a moment where Charlize, like, looks up at her and nods slightly, mm-hmm. and it's just, like, a <laughs> dagger in your heart because it's it, to me, is... Her saying, like, it's okay. I I understand that I have to die because, like, I understand that you did what you had to do. My heart is destroyed because you did, but it's okay. Yeah. I also think that that's her being like, we have more in common. Like, I had to kill someone to survive, and you're Mm. doing the same thing. Yeah. But it's to me. And I I wanted to talk about the phone call scene, because I found that, like, very, like, and I think it's meant to be ambiguous. It's framed so well. It's so... Where you're like, oh, there's something just out of frame. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you know it. (laughs) So, she, so basically, like, they know at last that, like, people are probably onto them, and Selby hasn't necessarily done any of the killing, but, like, her sketch is out, along with Charlie's sketch because of a car accident they had with a stolen car from the dead man. And so she's very upset. She's like, my life is going to be ruined. So Lee sends her away. And then Lee's been arrested and she's in jail and she's, and Selby and her are talking, I think for the first time since she's been arrested. And Lee is obviously- I can't remember, because I didn't rewatch it for this, but how did she get arrested? She's, she's in a bar completely wasted. Uh-huh. And there's two guys who like, who look like a big trucker-like motorbike kind of guys. And they're like very like attentive to her mm-hmm. basically. And then she like announces the bar, hey, I need some dimes to like call yeah. uh, my girlfriend. Guys who are like paying attention mm-hmm. to her, like, oh, I have some dimes. I have some in my car. Why don't you come with me? Mm-hmm. And then the, as they're walking her out, the cops like close her. So she, got arrested, one of the, so she didn't get arrested for murder then? She got arrested because of an outstanding warrant is why she yes. was arrested. Okay. And also like people suspected that, that she was responsible for this, but they didn't necessarily have the evidence. Yes. Uh, but they like were then using some because of the sketch and the right. investigative work. And that's another thing the movie does that I'm like so interested in. They spend no time. There is no cop figure who's hunting oh, her yeah. down. No, yeah. They yeah. do not give a shit about what, it's only what's happening to the two of them. It's right. essentially a two character movie. Yeah. It's almost like how her murdering affects their relationship. Yes, right. 100%. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And I think her friend in the bar thinks that those dudes are going to assault her. That's what I thought mm-hmm. also. But they're actually undercover right. officers. And I think her friend is yeah, trying to hunters or something. Yeah. Did you think that Bruce Bruce Dern plays the friend Tom. in the bar? Uh, did you think he knew that they were cops? I think... I thought he did. Yeah. I, oh, thought okay. th- I thought he was just trying to... I thought, A, he knew that she was the serial killer. Or the I, killer. I thought he uh, knew yeah. that, too. Oh, Bruce did. Yeah. But, and I think he was trying to... I don't think, I don't know if he knew that they were cops or not, but I think that he thought that she was going to get assaulted in some way and was looking out for her. But so the phone call scene is, so she's been arrested and she hasn't heard from Selby. And so she's on the phone 
And she says something about like, I think, you know, I don't want to talk too much because what if they're recording it? And it's mm-hmm. very close up on Selby. And then she asks her about the money that she yeah. gave her. And that's like, she gave her a bunch of money at the bus stop. And Selby's like, what money? I don't know what you're talking about. And then you see Lee's face sort of change. And she's like, oh, it was just something small. And Selby sort of breaks at some point. She's like, they came, they talked to my family. Like, I don't want to go down. Like, I, yeah. I just want to live my life. And I thought that the money chat was basically her way of telling Lee that there were other people listening because it would be a thing that she knew that she was lying as a way. I think it was Lee, or I'm sorry, Selby didn't want to admit that Lee gave her money because that might have gotten her in trouble. But if she had immunity already for getting the confession. But she's so young and dumb. Right. My thought is that she's like, nuh-uh, you didn't do that. Yeah. And... Because Charlize, because Lee, I can't go back and forth. Because Lee knows that she she definitely did. She's like, oh, you're lying. Oh, that's how is, I that's how I interpreted this it. This is too. this is bugged. Yeah. Well, I also thought that so when and her saying just some spare change again is like basically mirroring the moment that's my favorite moment. The whole right. like I'm I get deli- it. I'm deliberately absolving. I, I'm letting you yeah. think trap she, me. I think she chooses specifically to do that when Selby breaks down on the phone. That Lee then saying she had nothing to do with it. It was all me. She had nothing to do with it. It was her being like, I'm, like, I'm going to take any responsibility yeah. and like, yeah. I'm going to cover for you. But I couldn't tell if Selby still cared about her and was asking for like one more thing from her or if she had like already sort of like What do you mean one more thing? One like, more thing to, being what? To save her life. To basically be like, can confess. you, yeah, yeah, can you, can you confess? I think so. Me? I mean, to be fair though, like, Selby didn't murder anyone. Yeah. But she knew that she murdered someone and never contacted the cops or did anything. Like, she knew that she had killed yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. If you, She's... if you murdered 10 people and I knew it didn't tell the cops, I would be like, yeah, you should get all the blame, Regina. You killed 10 <laughs> people. Sure. That's how I feel. Yeah, but it's still criminal. Right, but you would still go to jail for it. Right. Right. I was very interested in the scene we were talking, we alluded to earlier, where Charlize seemed the most like the Charlize we normally see, where Mm. she's like, a Selby, you knew. (laughs) Like, because I really was interested in this, like, because Selby is portrayed as so naive and and silly. Wait, when does she say you knew? When when Selby's like, you've been killing all these people, and Charlize's like... You know. How did you think? Right. right. Like, where where did you think I was getting, like, you, oh, she comments on the new cars all the time. Right. Because if she murders someone and steals their car, she's not a master criminal. Right. And. <laughs> she does use Windex to clean them down. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> I was super interested in this idea that Selby, like, really genuinely was like, who knows where the cars come from? Yeah. You said you borrowed them. Right. Well, there's also, like, I feel like it's an interesting, like, characteristic of Selby where she's very willing for Charlize to do uncomfortable things for her behalf like she's basically like why'd you quit being a hooker like you need to go be a hooker now like we need money right like they're like the very beginning she's like you're not willing to do that so that i can eat like i'm starving like you don't care about me so in a weird way like selby like in part like pushes her into that yeah that's true like oh that's right when she was like i gotta get out of this like and then remember when she tries to get a job oh i forgot about that interview until right now I thought the scene where she's riding the bicycle in her, like, uh, ill-fitting, inappropriate uh, clothes, and you just see that, like, essentially, like, having been abused since a child, like, she has no actual place to fit into society. No. And you watch society, like, reject her through the mean interview guy being like, you're an idiot and you're not worth anything. Yeah. And then she goes to, like, the public aid office, and they're like, we've got nothing for you. So it's, yeah. like, active, like, malice or indifference, and then the one time, like, a police officer picks her up, he just forces her to give him a blowjob, and she's like, oh, last time you did this, you almost broke my jaw. So it's, like, the movie in, like, sh- quick scenes, like, very very quickly, I think, like, paints a larger portrait. And then there's the incredibly devastating scene where she picks someone up and he, like, 
genuinely wants to help her. Ugh, and he begs yeah. for his life. And that is also a seems like a genuinely scene. good person. Because we watch in some of the murders, she sort of justifies that they're a bad person. Yeah, like, the one guy she picks up, he, like, wants to talk dirty, and he says, call me daddy. And she's like, oh, he's a child molester. And not just, no, well, not just that. Like, I, I believe that she, the real Eileen, was like, I am 100% sure that every man I killed was going to kill me. There like, yes. men she pick, up, back and forth. pick up hookers yeah. and, like, rape them and murder them. Right. She did, I think she... Ele- because like, almost like she was... All of them had raped her and then she changed that story. I think she had, at some point, almost convinced herself that she was, like, doing the good deed of ridding... Yeah. Florida of the men that would pick up hookers and kill them. But like, she's like, other women just will get murdered. I'm strong enough and I'm, you know, that I'm yeah. not doing yeah. this. What were you gonna say? Um, I was gonna say, yeah, it's, it's, those scenes are really interesting in that she's from the get go trying to justify, like, why she's going to kill them. She's right. Like, oh, you right. like it dirty. You like to beat people up. Yeah. Like, like constantly. Um, and then even when that, when the guy, uh, what's it called? Pruitt Taylor Vince. Um, oh yeah, and he shows up and he's like, "No, I don't like that." Constantine I'm, guy, Constantine, get shifty eyes guy from Aww. Trapped, uh, and Constantine, and it always has shifty eyes even in this. Uh, and he's just like, "No, I've just never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing." And he's like, "She's like, all right, just unzip your pants." Right, she, <laughs> she, she does go. not kill him. The first person that she kills after the person who assaulted her. I feel like they spend time like showing that it's like traumatic for her to be in a car again with yeah. a man saying the same things yes. that the last guy did, and that there's the implication of like. You know, there's like a little bit of PTSD going on. Right. It's not like yeah. she got any assist, you know, uh, with anything, let alone, like, psychological well, help. yeah. I mean, beyond that one, I'm pretty sure, sh- I mean, Eileen has said definitely that, like, she was raped. Yes. Yeah. Like, a right. hundred times in right. her life before yes. any childhood of it, on. Yeah. Before any of this had happened. Well, they also, they so they do spend, like, one moment, like, they talk a little bit about her childhood, but it's often in very throwaway ways. Like, at some point in the over-narration, she's like, oh, I think I was 13, because when I was 12, that's when I had to give the baby up. Yeah. And they never talk anything about that again, but it's just sort of like, oh, so it's like, who She I- had a baby? Yeah. At 12? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, 12 or 13. Wow. Like, there's the one scene, I think, where she sort of goes into her past where she's talking to Selby about she was prostituting herself at, you know, as a child to help her siblings. And then when someone, like, told people that that's what was happening, then, like, her siblings who were happy enough to take her money then, like, literally, like, threw her out of the house. And she, like, had to live on the streets from that mm-hmm. point on. Mm-hmm. But they don't, they don't spend a lot of time on it. I feel like they, I don't no, know. No, it, it is, yeah. there's you're, no flashbacks. It is 100% like sort of throwaway mentions of how horrible her life was. But I just want to explain quickly my giggle that I just had because <laughs> it's just that it feels like every now and again during this podcast, we should just pause and be like, let's review our sound reviews. Uh, uh, uh. Okay, let's move forward. Yeah. Well, this movie is so, um, like, convincingly emotional. Like, even talking about it right now, I wiped away a tear about five minutes ago. Like, it's it's so good. It yeah, is. I, I felt the same way. I, re- yeah. I I almost got choked up. I don't remember where, but yeah. yeah. And I think, like, like the, I feel they don't spend a lot of time on the seven people that she murders, but, like, each of those scenes, like, I don't know, like, after she's killed them, like, you don't see, like, you see them get shot, but it, it just sort of, like, it moves on quickly. Like you said, it's mostly about how is this affecting her relationship with Selby. Yeah. And how, like, yeah. you do see it, like, I feel like there's a cumulative effect on Lee, like, starting to unravel, 
like the more people that she has killed and like there's more like fights with her and selby because the way that they're living is completely unsustainable and even with all of that brevity like that you still get a very complete feeling portrait of what she was like and why what she did yeah all of her history like you don't feel like like well what was that about like yeah you, you can put it all together very easily but i feel like it's a masterclass in writing as well as performing. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. yes. So let me, let me ask this. Do you guys think, like, as, like, a counterpoint, but I assume there must be hordes of people mm-hmm. that either about this movie or just the story of Eileen Wuornos or whatever, do you think that, like, this movie is overly sympathetic to Eileen Wuornos? And, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, what would you say if I sat down here today and was like, this movie's fucking gar... Oh, my God, I to say fuck. Yes. yes. This movie's fucking garbage uh, because it's feminism crazy. It's saying that women are allowed to murder guys. Well, I Those men all had lives and then nobody it's, cares about it's them. So, it's like, I've, I've been seeing a lot of that reaction to I, Tanya. Oh, okay. It's like, how dare they defend that monster? Right. <laughs> Nancy <laughs> Kerrigan hurt her knee. Right, exactly. And and that's a situation Eileen Wardos did murder right. seven people. But don't you, I mean, that, this movie must have gotten yeah. that critique well, from I'm people. Sure. I think that this movie, I've, the performance I find very sympathetic in spite of all the terrible choices and illogical conclusions and justification that she does. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the writing shies away from it at all. Like, in any other movie, like, if this was handled by anyone else, right. like, especially in the scene where she kills the guy who really wants to help. That's why I think that she's so knows that Anyone else handling this would have made her, like, cringe or, like... You would have seen her really hesitate, but she's just like, I just can't. And just, yeah. And she just has to reflect. Or if it was overly it. sympathetic, not even include that scene. Right. Exactly, also, yeah. I also don't think I thought that was very important they included Absolutely. that. I agree. Yes. You know? I also don't think that the movie at any point was like, she should have been allowed to continue killing people yeah. and right. loving Selby. Like, I don't right. think they're trying to absolve, like, what she did. I think the like the thesis of the film is encapsulated in the conversation she has with Tom in the bar, where he thinks she's talking about her life and she's uh, and like being a prostitute, but she's talking about killing people. Mm-hmm. And he talks about like having come back from Vietnam, and he's like, "What people don't understand is like these are the cards that you've been dealt, and people look at you as you're responsible for it." But like it's right. just, you know, so I think that the movie is not at all saying we should forgive her for the things that she's done necessarily, but also that like, this is the context in which those things happened. And if you only look at her for those seven murders and not like her, the entirety of her life, that you're not necessarily seeing like what, like what would have happened to make those things happen that she just didn't one day decide to do it. That there is in some ways, I think the movie is looking for the reasons behind it, not necessarily the absolution of it. So that's what I I, say to pretend. Right. Like I, (laughs) I, I know that I looking back, You know, I'm sobbing at that end, at the end of the movie, you know, particularly because of that moment that I mentioned of just like the sadness of like the love story ending and just, but I definitely am sobbing, but I don't think I felt like it's so tragic she's going to death row. Yeah. That's not a feeling I had. So I think that means that the movie did a good job of not, it was more just like, life is sad. Yeah. People are given, exactly. It's like, if a... If a guy goes off to Vietnam and gets completely fucked in the head and then comes home and, like, murders a couple people, I'm not like, well, give him a break. I'm right. more like, <laughs> life is bad. It, it is successfully Heart. complex in yeah. that way. Yeah. I also so, thought it was interesting that, so the movie's called Monster. Yeah. But in the movie, the what Monster is, is a 
amusement park ride. I never totally understood that part. Yeah, I didn't either. I was like, <laughs> I need to go back and listen to that. But I feel like she has Do like a, a few. No, she has a few She's, voiceovers yeah. throughout the movie, and there's one where she talks about. This amusement park ride came to her town. It was called The Monster. And she was so excited to go on it for so long. And then when she finally went on, like, it had barely started. She, like, threw up all over herself or something? Yes. The the theme of that, I think, is supposed to be that she was excited to do something, like, uh, but then when she got on this thing that had all this hype bill about it, like, it was a disappointing experience that she wasn't able to do it. You know, in the way that she imagined. I think that's supposed to be her life. Like, yes. when she says at the beginning, like, I, when I was a kid, I always imagined I would have all these great things in my life. Yeah. But what I actually had was the shithole you're about to yeah. see. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I think that's And she continued to, like we, like you said, throughout the film, you see still flashes of that. Like, yeah. we're going to get married. We're yeah. going to have a great life. Right, yeah. We have a purple Porsche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it feels like an awkward transition, but I've been doing that the whole time. <laughs> would this Academy Award winning film be improved with the prison riot. No. <laughs> Definitely not. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it could easily be put in. She is in prison at the end of it. I just like to say, you don't know until you try. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I mean, like, okay, wait. What if, like, during the credit scene, there was... <laughs> Would that improve it? I'm not, like, the question isn't, can Could we you figure one well, out? Or would you enjoy it? Like, during the credits, if we just got to see, like, a weird prison riot where she gets all the other female serial killers. I, I, I would like to, uh, you could you could put it in by her, because, like, obviously there wasn't a prison riot in her prison, because that would be part of the story, but you could have Maybe her... they didn't get there, they ran out of time. <laughs> yeah, the running time was 1 hour 50, and that was it. Yeah. But she could have been watching a prison riot on TV herself mm. and been like, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that would be good, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Just, okay. I'll, I'll vote yes, so that it doesn't, right. it doesn't lose, <laughs> yeah, unanimously. So something that I read on the Wikipedia is apparently the actual Eileen Wornos, like, had, you know, terrible treatment in prison that she mm-hmm. would complain of, or, you know, like, file for but the thing i read i was like this is so interesting so for her last meal she could have anything under 20 dollars, and she just wanted a cup of coffee oh wow. and i find like last meals and like last were like just weirdly interesting me too and i forget you know what she said about it but she was just sort of like you know just is that always the case under 20 dollars? i've never heard that before it's florida oh well how about remember at the end when she screams like you know may you rot in hell for sending a raped woman to die yeah Let's hear those sounds so, again. Uh, <laughs> although, can I just say, so, like, that happens, and then she's walking out, and, like, these title cards are, like, Selby and her never spoke again, yeah. and she's sentenced to death. Wallo Rock Diddy plays. What the hell was the musical choice at the end? It's, like, I don't very, remember. like, jammy sitcom. No, I liked it! Oh, uh, I lost it. It's I was not like, a rock it ditty. It is a rock ditty. <laughs> She's going to death. She's looking over her shoulder. Jam, jam, jam. And I was very I think it's supposed to be somewhat hopeful. I think it also symbolizes her defiance as well. Like, she is like, fuck you guys. Yeah. Like, you're all scum. Like, I'm like, she, she was like, again, like on an upswing. Yeah. After being sentenced. Uh, what role should Keanu Reeves have played in this film? For me, I cast him as Tom because there aren't that many who other characters. It's her one friend. It's the oh, guy who has the he owns the storage unit and he's the one who's very sympathetic to her at the bar, being like, Hey, it's not on you. Go easier on yourself and also tries to save her at the end. Because there's really like not that many other options. 
I would, I honestly, I, this is one of the ones where I'm like, we need to just get him in there and move along. Like, I don't want to mess up the movie. So I'm like, let's have him be one of the cops at the end. Okay. Yeah. I was going to be, let's have him be the lawyer who interviews her. Oh, <laughs> brutal. I don't want to see him be that mean to yeah, her. Basically, he could play his character a devil's advocate. Kevin! <laughs> Wait, do you mean the, the mean job interview? Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought of that. Also, because it's my favorite part of the movie that I keep talking about, where she's crying at the end while she's giving the confession, you see her kind of like fall in and, the, and her female lawyer like hugs her a little bit. Yeah. That can be Keanu. Okay. Just a little touch of love. Okay. (laughs) I also thought, I mean, I guess the gender dynamics would be wrong, but the the woman where Shelby's staying, who's always like, you can't do this. Yeah. Um, The aunt, right? Annie Corley. But I think think it's important that that be a woman. So maybe we could have Keanu be the dad come in in the underwear and be like, who's in here? I got a gun. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I forgot that that happens. Any of the, any of the victims? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Get your prison riot and your thought of Keanu getting shot out of my house. <laughs> Tough opinions here on the Theranathon. Were there any other moments in the movie that you wanted to delve into? No, I mean, I just, my, my overall take on this is I can't believe how good it is. Yeah. I am just, it's like, because we spend so much time with Charlize and we love her so much, like, I... Still can't believe how much she disappears into the role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I almost, I wrote down that I, I kind of wish that we could watch it again without the makeup. Like, kind of like, you know, oh, if you yeah. beat the first Metroid game, you could play it again <laughs> with Samus not in her suit to like prove that it's a girl. <laughs> I, I want to like. That. I want to play. I want to play monster through again with Charlize with normal teeth and eyes, so that you could prove it's Charlize. Yeah, yeah. I, I think mean, it would be such a different movie, though. Like, I mean, I feel I'm like not saying that, that it would be better woman. that way. Yeah. I'm just, I'm curious about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her pro is just stunningly good. Yeah, and also, but, like, I hate saying this. It also made me feel a little bit like, well, where's this? Why don't we get? Why aren't you doing more of this? Like, and yeah. I assume that part of that is just the emotional toll that I assume that this took on her. Yeah. And then additionally, the rarity of such a strong script. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I do hope that we do get another, like, this level of, like, emotional rawness and transformation from Charlize again before the end of her career. Well, the trailer for Tully just came out. Yeah. So I don't think this will necessarily be quite the, but it's like, not the same scope, this- but I think... I think this and Young Adult are the closest. Right. Thing before. But young like, adult, Young yeah. Adult, she is very recognizably Charlize Theron. Yeah. I think part of the, like, part of the issue is, like, it is how, like, beautiful she is as a person. Yeah. That, that like, you, can, you can't really watch her and not constantly be seeing that as part of it unless they put a lot of prosthetics on her. Yeah. Um, when you look at the uh, awards page for this on IMDb, it's just... Best actress, best actress, best actress, one, 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 all of them, all the way down. Yeah. The other one of note that I saw was best movie yet to open in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why wasn't it just included in next year's awards? It's yet to open in Iowa. <laughs> uh, oh, that's awesome. Who did she beat that year? Oh, um, great question. I and it bothers me that I can't immediately like because it was one of those years where it was like, oh, well, Charlize Theron is going to win it, so the other nominations become, like, inconsequential. Yeah. Oh, so you people were I mean? definitely, like, she's definitely oh, going to win. Oh, it was 100% preordained destined. <laughs> okay. I mean, win. that is an Oscar right. role. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it, that was, like, the era of, like, 
women getting ugly and winning the that Academy was the Awards. Hour. I think after it, the hours it was happened. The year after the hours. Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah. So the Which is what I mean is like, that became like right. the joke. This was the Oscars where the Lord of the Rings won everything. <laughs> and as we discussed before, she was there with her then partner, Stuart Townsend, who was fired from, from playing Aragorn and had to watch this movie that became a cultural phenomenon without him win <laughs> 11 Oscars. I mean, if he'd been in it, it would have flopped would, I, That yeah. Just that one role. Exactly. Yeah. He was not Aragorn. Um, but she does say very lovely in her in her speech, she's like, we've heard a lot of people thank New Zealand tonight. So <laughs> thank you, South Africa. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, actress in a leading role in 2004, uh, Charlize Theron for Monster, Keisha Castle-Hughes for Whale oh, Rider. she was so Oh, good. she was great. Diane Keaton for Something's Gotta Give. Nope. Nice. Samantha Morton in America, and Naomi Watts for 21 Grams. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was going So, yeah, it was one of those things where yeah. it was like, but Keisha Castle-Hughes, so, so great. What a great movie. Fantastic. You were saying this is the Return of the King year? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Sorry. It was uh, when Sean Penn beat the old Murrah. What a wound. all right let's rank it so i'm ranking this i've put it uh just one place above kubo and the two strings uh which makes it my number three i put it there because i just because it had such an emotional connection uh and like the 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 reaction that it listed to me was so uh like more raw and genuine than i've had in a very long time uh, I did put it, and like Coupon Shootings, I think is very beautiful, but it's not quite, it doesn't have the emotional weight to it. Uh, it is one below that thing you do because it also had a strong emotional reaction, but it was a fantastically joyous one. And I think probably <laughs> one of the most joyous things I've ever experienced in uh, cinema history. So, uh, it's, so what are your top three? My top three are now Young Adult, That Thing You Do, and Monster. Hmm. I put it number two after Young Adult and above uh, Fate of the Furious. Oh, nice. <laughs> the only time those two movies have ever been compared in a sentence. <laughs> I honestly even had a moment, a fleeting moment of thinking about making it my new number one, but because I just am so impressed by this movie. Yes. But I, Young Adult, I find impressive and I also genuinely love it. Mm-hmm. This is more right. of a movie where like I worship at it. More so than love it. But yeah, it's my new number two. Well, guys, this was really hard. Uh, And I think perhaps the level of ambivalence I had about watching it in the first place versus my actual reaction to it may have, like, in some way influenced it. But this is my new number one. Whoa! Because I have all along tried to rate it on Charlize's performance. Yeah. And I did uh, debate putting Young... Like, I went back and forth on whether or not Young Adult or this was a stronger performance. And, like, this is obviously more overtly dramatic. It's Mm -hmm. murder and love and based on a true story. And I think that Young Adult is a smaller story. Um, And I just... I think the thing that pipped it is not... Is is the range that was necessary for it? Like, yeah, it is such a huge like undertaking to to be that character, and because I think young adult also like the movie focuses on her so much, so it, it's very close. And I also also almost made it number two based only on the Rock Diddy ending. I was like, you guys had me, um, <laughs> but I think if I'm being honest, like and like not just because she won the award for it, but I'm like, you can see why that she did. And yeah, so I, I do think this is the new number one. If so. this, if I, if my rubric were her performance only, this would be my number one. Mm-hmm. But because I go by general feelings about the film, yeah, it's my number two. I also think the other thing that made it like, because I agree with you, like I don't love it the same way that I love Young Adult. Yeah. 
But I also find watching Young Adult very difficult. And I don't know that I would watch this movie again as quickly as I would watch Young Adult. But I think I thought I would watch this and not like it and have no meaningful input for it. But I feel like there's so much in it and I enjoyed it so much more than I thought I would. And because of the way that it handles the murdering, uh, would be willing to see it again. Like, I don't know, just to see more out of it. Yeah. So I'm sad that we don't have universal number ones anymore. <laughs> well, this is my second time on the podcast, so uh, I will rank this above uh, The Devil's Advocate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, shout out to Patty Jenkins, though. Uh, this, I think, proves that Wonder Woman was not a fluke. Yeah, and I, what was she doing in between? We need you, Patty. Yes. Also, like, I didn't know she wrote this as well as directed. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. has she written any other screenplays? I don't know. We need you, Patty. It <laughs> yeah. was so good. It was like the script and the the the, the filmmaking. Right? It shows that her skill is clearly very specifically writing stories within these genres that you wouldn't otherwise think right. are going to be these captivating stories. Yeah, you know, whether it's a big big budget uh-huh. comic book film or whether it's a true life true crime story. true crime story, she writes really compelling emotional character stories within mm-hmm. them. Absolutely. It's a very good skill. And also, I feel like stories with, like, a strong relationship to, like, what morality means to society at large. Yes. So, Abby Pewter. Yes. Thank you for being a guest on Thank our podcast. Thank you for podcast. having me this on this movie I love. Lovely. And where can we see you in the world coming up soon? Well, I happen to have, uh, along with you, Robin, uh, a Frankly Scarlet all made up, meaning it's an improv show, which is happening at Archie Comedy Theater, January 20th, Saturday, mm-hmm. at uh, 10 p.m. That's right. So two days after this podcast drops, come see me and Abby and some other female improvisers do funny stuff. Yes. Much funnier than this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thank you for coming. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Good to be back. It is so good to be back. I missed Charlie's way more than I thought I would. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. Like It's been like the first three weeks that I haven't seen a movie or a TV show with her, and when the Tully teaser dropped, I was like, oh, hey. Our girl. How you been? Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Alex Reed, for our amazing theme tune. I'm glad to hear it again. And most of all, thank you, Charlie's. And the Oscar goes to Charlize Theron. This is the first Academy Award and nomination for Charlize Theron. This has been such an incredible year. I can't believe this. Um, Hey, I don't have a lot of time. I have to thank my incredible director, Patty Jenkins. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All of our producers, Brad, Clark, Megan, Mark, Donald, Sammy Lee, everybody at Media 8, Bob, and everybody at New Market, thank you so much for working so hard on this film. My incredible, incredible leading lady, Christina Ricci, who I couldn't have done this film without. You are truly the unsung hero of this film. I have to thank... 
our entire crew, Tony G for transforming me um, so incredibly. Every single person who worked on this film, I couldn't have done it without you guys. My incredible manager, J.J. Harris, who have represented me for so long now, and you've always believed in me. I, I can't thank you enough. My friend, Steve Warren, my lawyer, thank you so much. <laughs> yes, I know, he's my friend. <laughs> Heidi Schaefer and Amanda Silverman from PMK, my guardian angel, Beth Kono, oh, my producing partner, Megan Riley Grant, and if I'm forgetting anybody, please don't kill me. And I know everybody in New Zealand's been thanked, so I'm going to thank everybody in South Africa, my home country. <laughs> They're all watching tonight. And I'm bringing this home next week. And I have to thank my incredible partner in crime, you're one hell of a partner to have. Thank you so much for standing by me. And my mom, you have sacrificed so much for me to be able to live here and make my dreams come true. And there are no words to describe how much I love you. And I'm not gonna cry. Thank you, thank you, thank you.